Hello, I'm John Musker. I'm one of the directors of Moana. And I'm Ron Clements, and I'm the other director of Moana. And this is a movie that we actually uh, we pitched to John Lasseter. It was back in 2011. Uh, uh, simple idea, actually, built around the character of Maui originally, eventually Moana came along. Um, what you're hearing right now on the track, I might add, is a wonderful uh, song that Opatia, sort of an opening chant that he wrote, and that's his daughter Olivia, who's doing that very lead vocal. Yeah, there was a funny story that when the, that was recorded, they actually recorded it in a hotel room, and when Olivia is doing that, that very dramatic um, chant at the beginning of the song, um, they got calls. I think there were people that thought maybe someone was being murdered in the room, but actually it was just recording this beautiful opening of the movie. And here it is now, so lyric and so beautiful. So this whole opening, uh, this is Eric Goldberg's animation, actually. This is 2D animation. Most of this movie is 3D, but we wanted this kind of prologue at the beginning to feature some hand-drawn animation. Even though this is the first thing in the movie, it was actually one of the last things animated in the movie, right. ironically. Yeah, and uh, uh, designed, uh, Ian Gooding had a big hand in this in terms of how we we're gonna approach this. Tapa traditionally, which is the pounded bark cloth, is doesn't usually have color on it. It's only in kind of browns and blacks and whites, but we sort of lit this theatrically to get the color of this island of Tefiti, this mythical island. Very dramatic introduction of the character of Maui. Now, this part was actually done fairly early in the course of things, storyboarded by our co-head of story, Dave Pimentel. But we didn't really have an opening like this. This came later, actually. There was the thought that we really needed to set up Maui, because originally we thought we wouldn't see him until actually even Moana discovered him when, when she went off to find him. So he actually first appeared much later in the movie. But I think John Lester was among them, the, the people that felt we really needed to set up this sort of plot issue of the movie, even though that meant showing Maui at the beginning. So this was added halfway through our sort of story process, I would say, somewhere in there. Yeah, this gets into the gist of it right off the bat. Um, and already yeah. it's a showcase for our wonderful effects department, led by Dale Maeda and Marlon West. And this whole destruction of the island, uh, it was really a tour de force for the effects artists to take this beautiful landscape and tear it apart. Um, and, and Maui, of course, transforms into the, yeah. these different characters. The it was creatures. hard. It was hard doing these transformations, which surprised us, because the genie in Aladdin was easy, but transformations are hard in CG animation. Right. Because you, you have to design and model and rig every single transformation. It's complicated. And, of course, this is the appearance of our villainous Tekka, at one point called Tepo, but retitled Tekka. In earlier versions of the draft, of the movie, she actually spoke, she had dialogue, but as the story got reworked, it was felt that it, it made her more mythic, and she really didn't need, she didn't really have much to say, and we didn't want her to talk too much, so so her voice went away, and uh, and she remains just kind of, she shrieks and calls out, but no actual dialogue. And now we're into uh, the telling of the story with Grandma Tala, the wonderful actress, Rachel House, uh, from New Zealand, and uh, she's actually somewhat younger than, than you would think, but, uh, but she, she does uh, a really fantastic job of, of voicing Grandma And she Tala. does her singing as well. She's just an amazing actress. Um, again, this sort of sets up the, the plot engine of the movie, you know, the destruction that's going to come visited to the island of Motunui, which, by the way, is a made-up island. We, Paul Garrity, our linguist uh, advisor, we asked him to come up with some names of a, of a fantastic island. Really, we didn't want to set it in a real place like Samoa or Tonga or Fiji. We really wanted to invent a place, and that was based on some advice we got from our advisors. 
that said it's better not to localize it as much. So that island, Motunui, was invented. It means big island, I think, in a number of Pacific languages. And here's Chief Tui, voiced by Tim Morrison, yeah, Tim otherwise Morrison. known as Boba Fett. And Django, Django Fett? Fett? Django Fett, Boba Fett. Yeah. He's a Star Wars guy. Yeah. Um, and that voice is the uh, son of uh, Bernice Robinson, our uh, post-production supervisor, Maddox. I think that was his uh, little contribution there. And uh, the toddler, the little uh, sounds that the toddler makes, actually, uh, Louise Alberti, the daughter of Elise Alberti, our assistant, uh, her nickname is Lulu, so the, some of the, some of this is library stuff, but the, some of the well, dog most, most in the singing of it, part, Most of it is Lulu. Yeah, it's Lulu. The design of this toddler is, is so appealing, and a lot of that is, is because of Bill Schwab, our, our, our brilliant uh, art director of character design, who, uh, who brought so much appeal to the design of, of all the characters in this movie, and he did, he did a great job. But this is uh, this was all storyboarded. This and the next bit with with uh, little Moana meeting the ocean was all storyboarded by the the great Chris Williams, uh, a wonderful wonderful storyboard artist director, uh, won an Academy Award along yeah. with Don Hall for Big Hero Six and was a huge so, huge. So very early on, we we just knew movie. we wanted Moana to have a close relationship with the ocean, and even as the script was even being developed. Very early on, Chris, uh, even before Big Hero 6, he storyboarded this sequence we, we, just really with uh, just a very sketchy idea of this is her first encounter with the water as a toddler. And we knew we wanted to really make her believable as a toddler, so we studied toddler animation, but more so we wanted to make the ocean a character in the movie, which grew out of our research in the Pacific Islands where they in, talked about the ocean yeah. as if it were alive. Incidentally, the key to toddler animation is to animate the toddler as if she is drunk, and that that works um, very Yeah, I think um, they took a few of these scenes well. and they redid her as a 16-year-old and it was scary. But actually at one point even, this whole sequence was out and we had her meeting the ocean for the, uh, this sort of happening when she was 16 years old. And for a while it was in the story that way, but we always thought, no, this is the better way to go. Yeah, and well, through various story machinations, it came this back to came this back into the movie, thank goodness. Yeah. It, this was, this was uh, a tour de force for our effects team, and, and really this was um, to prove out the concept of the living ocean, how to do it. It's not easy. Uh, it was the first sequence really animated on the film, and uh, again, the effects department, they really had to use all these sort of engines of, you know, simulations of water and combine them in ways that had never been done before in terms of all the refractions, reflections, the bubbles, the amplitude of these waves, the in and out of the surf and the foam at the bottom or the edge of these things. All but those it, really yeah. had to be carefully designed. But it really, they did a, just a great job. So long before the rest of the movie was done, we had this little this little set piece that we could show yeah. just as an example of what the movie was going to look like. And that really, that really helped a lot in terms of just yeah. uh, proving out the concept and also just having a nice little little sample. And we're gonna see, uh, I mean, really overall the movie, the movie is so so beautiful, and uh, Ian Gooding, our production designer, is really the one responsible for so much of that. He really, he went to the islands, he's from Jamaica originally himself, but he took a bunch of pictures, and he really has a wonderful eye for color and the richness of the color. Uh, Easter egg alert. 
We always put a cameo of ourselves. We try to in these movies, a la Alfred Hitchcock. And Ian Gooding came up. Watch very closely. Watch this rug. That was See us. That? That's us. No, that's, that's us, us going right by. There. there we go. That's the skinny, Ron and I. The skinny guy is on, John, and the, the chubby guy is on me. On that tapa. So that was designed by Griselda LeMay, a wonderful uh, storyboard artist on the movie and visual visual development artist, really. And Ian found a way to sneak it in, Ian, our production designer. Um, this song, this whole song, the village song, came kind of late in the process. Right. In, in the middle, I would say, it was... Yeah. Uh, uh, we and, didn't have it for a while, and it, this really was a way of, of village life of displaying a lot of the ideas about what what a Pacific Island village is like. Right, because we, you know, we had Moana going off. She had to save her village, but we hadn't really shown much of what was this life that she was really trying to save, and where we were really celebrating Pacific culture the way we wanted to, having been there. And so I really think it was kind of John Lester's idea to really put some kind of song near the yeah, beginning it came that really celebrated the. The, the world of the movie, the, the, the world of the Pacific Islands. But also the problem. The problem is inherent in this it, yeah, it in, has in both, the sense basically. that there's conflict in that right. we know that Moana is drawn to the sea, she's drawn to the ocean. And this clearly states that the chief has very opposed ideas, that, that everything is great the way it is. We're happy here in our village. There's no reason to ever leave. Of course, we have our idiot rooster, Hey Hey, who got much stupider as the movie went on. Actually, he was in danger of being cut at one point because... He just didn't seem to be adding enough humor to the movie. And Ryan Green, wonderful story artist, they all sort of worked at how can we make him funnier. And Ryan had the idea to make him way, way stupider. And that helped enormously. And a bunch of gags ensued that played up his stupidity that sort of yeah. saved him in the movie. Yes, some, some people have, have uh, compared the little pig to me and the stupid chicken to John, which I think is, is sort of a valid kind of comparison. So this scene, this is another one where actually John Lester had a hand in this, to his credit. We always struggled with how do we show Moana aging from a young girl to the age she's going to be in the movie. And we tried it a million different ways, and it never quite landed right. And I, I do believe it was John's idea who said, why don't you just cross-dissolve while she's dancing so it shows the length and breadth of her relationship with her grandmother, and it celebrates the dancing and the cultural ideas at the same time. And I think it was... a wonderful idea visual and, and we could mention our, our choreographer yeah yeah tiana who uh the group nonacina that she has she we shot reference of her i hope we see some of that perhaps on this dvd so you can compare what the animators did they sort of borrowed elements from her choreography and pasted them together in different ways but it was really inspirational in getting the dance and that's been commented on by people from the pacific islands how much they enjoy seeing the dance in this film and, yeah, and tiana did a fantastic job yeah this is a sacred place. So this was, I think, Jared Bush's invention, really, this sort of pile of stones. It wasn't necessarily something we saw in the Pacific Islands, but it felt islandy. We saw we saw marais, which are sort of temples that had kind of stone foundations. So in a way, this alluded to that a little bit. But it was a way of trying to create a visual symbol of the power of the past that she was meant to connect with and her role and her responsibility. And uh, I think it was a good visual device to sort of highlight that that comes into the movie in a few different places Jared did an amazing job in the last year of the movie, really sort of helping paste everything together in great dialogue, and he really was uh, a godsend for the movie. And in terms of Moana, the character of Moana, I think it really pushing this this conflict that, that she loves her island, she loves her people. She doesn't necessarily want to run away or anything like that. She, she feels a commitment, but she still does feel this, this call to the sea, and she can't resolve these two. And here's some 
another nice dance bit. Yeah, again, John Lasseter note, but he, we had another scene here, and he's like, no, no, let's do dancing. I want more dancing. So we, we added more dancing. Now she's wearing here, actually, that's a toinga, which is the uh, Samoan ceremonial headdress when a girl becomes a taupo. Oh, cute little pig. We could talk about the controversy, but first, the cameo. Troy Palomalu of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know you recognize his voice. There he is, that long-haired guy. Um, and in fact, the hair was based on Troy's hair. Uh, we, we studied Troy's hair when we were looking for long Polynesian locks for, our, for some of the men in the movie, and uh, he was an inspiration. And he did a great, great voice job, too. Of course, tattooing uh, is such a part of the culture. When we went there five years ago, Jessica Julius, one of our development uh, executives, was with us, and she got a tattoo, a traditional style. Now, this little kid coming up, this dancing kid. Yes. His yes. wild dance is based on a guy we saw when we were at the Pacifica Music Festival in March of 2014. There was a band on this, or a, a dance group on the Samoan stage where there was a lead dancer who just kind of went wild. He was a bit the Chris Farley slash John Belushi of Samoa. And we loved his dancing so much we said, have that little kid dance like he did. So the animator looked at some of the reference and kind of took a little bit of a cue. That was Andrew Chesworth who animated that. Great job by Andrew. And we should mention Alan Tudyk, who did the voice of Hey Hey, did all his little chicken sounds, also did the voice of, of this old guy who wants to eat Hey Hey. So there's a nice yin-yang there that, the, that both Hey Hey and the guy who wants to eat him were voiced and by the same person. And speaking of voices, this particular voice is the voice of Ali'i Cravalho's mother, Ponani. She's actually doing the voice here. We, John Lasseter was big on, let's give her a cameo in the movie if we can somewhere. And we had her in a few different spots. Ultimately, we wound up on this spot. So when she says, she's doing great, what she's yeah, about to yeah. say. There, there's it, an extra meaning to yeah, that. Yeah, there's a meta aspect to that. Thanks, Moana. She's doing great. Yeah, see, yeah, she's my daughter. talking I'm about proud. her own daughter. I'm proud of yeah. her. Um, mm -hmm. Ali'i, we, of course, you know, we've taken for granted all this, but Ali'i Kraval, after an exhaustive search, you'll see some of that perhaps on this DVD. She did an unbelievable job, all the acting, all the singing. She was only 14 when we cast her, 15 yeah, when we recorded most of this. Turned 16 the day before the movie opened in the yeah. United States and is just a, a great, great talent. Uh, even though she had no experience either as a singer or an actress, she was just a high school student and sang in Glee Club, but just tremendously talented. We were so lucky to find her. That guy in this scene is actually voiced by Oscar Keitley, who's a wonderful Samoan actor who lives in New Zealand. I think he may have grown up in New Zealand, but he... Uh, and he was sort of a comedy acquaintance or, you know, a co-artist with Taika Waititi, who wrote the first draft of the script. And we loved getting Oscar in here somewhere. He's a really terrific actor. And Taika was, was, uh, was great to work with in the early part of, of the process. Um, he, he did write the first draft, and he, was, he came from Flight of the Concords and directed New Zealand films. And then since then has directed two or three films since he worked uh, for us for a while on, on writing on this. He's, he directed uh, um, What We Do in the Shadows, hilarious uh, um, film, and uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, and now he's doing Thor. Um, and Nicole? Nicole Scherzinger, who is actually uh, of Hawaiian descent, wonderful. Mom was sort of in and out of the story many times. She was in our most of our first drafts, and then... For about a year, I think she may have left the movie, although, and then although, she reappeared again. Fortunately, we were happy that yeah, she came Yeah, we always back. wanted Mom to be Mom in to here. Be we, we've killed so many mothers. And, yeah, and my mother's uh, never forgiven me for any of that. We really felt that it would be nice if, if Moana had two parents. Yeah. 
um, in this night scene, we really wanted to give a backstory to to Dad as far as why is he so dead set against voyaging. So there were variations of this scene. Earlier drafts had him actually telling Moana what happened, but again, I don't mean to keep mentioning John Lashman, but I do believe it was his idea. Have Mom tell this story uh, because it, it's almost like there's a good cop, bad cop thing, and she could kind of relay it a little bit from a you know, almost more sympathetically in a way for from Dad's point of view, for her to do, deliver it. And Juana's shocked to hear that she's never heard any of this before, but now understands her father a little better, but it doesn't help her with her basic problem. And she's about to sing this song, How yeah, Far I'll Go. A sort of classic I Want song. It, 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 uh, there again, there's there's parallels, I think. But Lynn, Lynn manuel Miranda, brilliant, brilliant um, uh, uh Composer, lyricist, um, very big fan of Howard Ashman and the work of Howard Ashman, and and I think really felt that he wanted to do kind of a classic "I Want" song. We struggled for, for a little Moana. bit with where this was going to come in the story. There were times where it came earlier, and there were times where it had a different slant. And ultimately, I think it 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 was better to come on the heels of some kind of setback, and that's what we rearranged the story to make happen. So this whole running, you know, with her father there prompts the song, which just seems to make it work better and it features a wonderful animation by our amazing animation staff who really brought this scene to life. Dave Harden did those scenes and Svetla Radivoeva did these scenes where she uh, comes up and and, and, and we should mention Hiram Osmond and Hiram Amy Osmond, Speed. Yes. Um, this of was the famous our... Osmond family. Hiram actually his yes. father's one of the Osmond brothers. It's true. But we had never uh, worked with most of the animators on this film because all our films up to this point have been hand drawn and we were so impressed. Yeah. With uh, with the, the animation and um, yeah, the and overall level is just amazing on this. Now, here's another Easter egg, but that that piece of tapa is a sort of a vague, almost like a caricature of the carpet in Aladdin. If you look at the pattern, the way it's laid out, that's you have, you'll have to look at carpet. it carefully. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you can get the analogy. You, you don't want Easter eggs to be too easy. Yeah. But now we're giving them away. We probably shouldn't give them all. Maybe we won't give any more. Well, away. We can hint. Um, so this is sort of the crux of the song, basically, where she has a, she's torn between the land and the sea, her responsibilities and her pull to the sea, and we tried to physicalize that by having her move inland as she was drawn to the land and then back out to the screen right, which is where the ocean is. So all the movement now goes from left to right as she's thinking, you know, this is where my real pull is, and she goes past her ceremonial yes. headdress. And we got blowholes in the movie, which we I, had experienced I always those in, wanted to get blowholes in Samoa, in the movie. yeah, on the island of Savai. And you'll see in some of the other footage, they're just so amazing, these uh, phenomena, physical phenomena. And, and we got totally drenched. Um, uh, you never know when they're going to just totally explode and, and get you. Um, again, uh, the animation, they did a marvelous job of really trying to coordinate all. They had the complexities of just trying to get this boat moving. And of course, we didn't want her to be too good a sailor here. So she's doing some things correctly, incorrectly, almost. I mean, ne neither of us are sailors, but we had some knowledgeable people. One of our in-house sailing experts was none other than Kyle Odermatt, our VFX supervisor, who really was responsible for the Herculean task of getting this entire movie to the screen, which he done did an amazing, fantastic, unbelievable job on. But also, just as much, he helped with the sailing. He gave people impromptu sailing lessons. What rope goes where, how you move the jib, what's tacking, what's jiving. Uh, if only I knew any of that stuff, but fortunately the animators learned it. One of the most controversial aspects of the movie was, was Pua's role in the movie. He went from 
being in, through the whole voyage to almost not being in the movie at all. But we're glad he's in. And there were reasons why he didn't, didn't go with her on the voyage. There's a whole department on this movie, uh, the lighting department, where everything kind of comes together. All the animation is lit like a theatrical set. And so much of the final image you see gets put together in the lighting phase. Of course, layout has preceded this. The wonderful Rob Dressel, who sort of is the head of layout, they help design all the way the, the way the camera moves. But in terms of the look of the image, lighting does that. And you can see even here the cool shadows, the warm late afternoon sun. That all came from Adolf Luzinski I mean, and his lighting crew. Unbelievable job yeah. they did. We, we didn't know that much about lighting, and we, we were just blown away by, by what lighting could do, as we were also blown away by Tech Anim, which does things like uh, Moana's hair. But and then um, there's the look department, which actually had to do that injured foot. They have to actually design, they designed all the textures, both of the skin and the outfits, and so they have to decide, how bloody are we gonna make this? How much, does, how much of a contusion is this? And all those things are artistic choices that are made by different departments within the movie. So many different. Uh, stages and different, uh, the film goes through so yeah. many different processes. It's very than a hand-drawn film. We had to actually kind of go to school to learn about this. Put that stone up there. Well, let's talk about Tala well, and the yeah. manta rays. Well, I, I think, yeah, Pam Ribbon, who was sort of the second writer on the project, really, Tala came in through her uh, stewardship. Moana had an elder that she was really hooked into some relationship, a grandmother or something, and then so Pam really wrote the first drafts on Grandma and helped set her up as this quirky person. And Jared, all this dialogue is Jared's, and he, he, amazing in the way Rachel delivers it. We want her to be a little bit eccentric, but she's based a little bit in part on Hinano Murphy, one of our advisors from Tahiti, who's very regal and totally connected to the culture. Even that the way she wears her hair with those, the way it's tied up that way, that's sort of based on Hinano, who's a beautiful Tahitian woman that really was a big part of our research. The research trips were a huge, huge influence on this movie. Um, we learned so much uh, going to the Pacific Islands. Our first trip was five years ago. We went to Fiji, Samoa, and Tahiti and met incredible people and learned so much stuff that we didn't know, um, which some of that this will be leading up to in this next sequence. Yeah, we're really getting into, again, there were different versions of the story where Moana knew more about her navigating past, but. Eventually, we worked out really, and I think it might have been Ron's idea, to sort of hold this off so that it was kind of a secret that was being kept from her, the fact that they were once voyagers. And so we got this really dramatic scene where she could find this out for herself, sort of, you know, with mystery involved. What, what is all this voyaging about? And I think it really pulls the audience into the movie more than the way we had it before. Yeah, and that was one of the big, big takeaways from, from the... Uh, Pacific Islands was the culture of navigation, that they were the greatest navigators the world has ever known. But they also stopped for a thousand years. There was a thousand year gap. And to this day, nobody knows why they stopped. And then about 2,000 years ago, which is when the movie actually takes place, that is when they started up again. And, and the idea was that possibly in our minds that the reason things stopped was because of the actions of this trickster demigod and that this young girl might be uh, responsible for getting things started again. Svetla animated these scenes, Svetla Radovayeva, and that some of my favorite scenes in the movie with that bounce light coming back on her. You might notice the insignia on her sail had that double spiral. That actually was written in the very first draft of the script by Taika Waititi. He really saw it as a visual symbol. Taika is a Kiwi, and it's a strong symbol in New Zealand, certainly, and then throughout the Pacific Islands, and it, it means various things, but it has to do with nature, and we really thought it was a great symbol to work with in this film.
Yes, we, we haven't mentioned the uh, beautiful score by Mark Mancina, which is, is really great in, in this section, and, uh, and also the work he did with Obataya Fua'i uh, uh, together in terms of the song that we're about to hear. So yeah, so we wanted sort of a storytelling, you know, an image on this sale, and, and as Ron alluded to, Mark Mancina, he really latched onto that musical phrase, yekina, which, which Opatai had created. I think it literally means you can do it, and he pulled that out of some fragments sort of that uh, Opatai had constructed and used it as the ba background. And, and here this, we segue yeah. into We Know the Way, the first song written for the movie and, and written and by Opatai Fua'i, as we call yes, him, yes, I, properly. I, I, um, and, and also, um, this was originally the opening of the movie. The movie actually opened with this song. And this is Opatai kind of singing the world here. Of Opatai has a band called Tavaka. We, Osnat sure, our producer, was the one who really brought Opatai's work to our attention. We loved the kind of rootsy music that he had, and we felt he could really give this color of the Pacific Islands to the score. So he was the first musician that we really contacted on this to, to ask him if he would be a part of the score. A lot of this song was actually written in New Zealand, uh, where for the first time that Lin-Manuel Miranda, Opatai Fua'i, and Mark Mancina all got together and met each other for the first time at, at an Auckland music festival. Um, yeah, it was in uh, March of 2014, the Pacifica Music Festival. And they began recording some things there and then continued up in Carmel where Mark lived. But, uh, and this is Lynn's voice here. Lynn originally sang on the demo. We knew he wanted part of the song to be in English, so Lynn wrote this lyric and, and created a counter melody over Op Opatia's melody. But we liked it well enough, even before Lynn became a sensation, we just said, he has such exuberance in his voice, let's keep his voice in there. Then as things played out, you know, he became such a known yeah. because of Hamilton. That was almost after we had decided yeah, to reuse his voice. Honest to God, we didn't know anything about Hamilton when we met with Lynn in New York three years ago. Um, uh, yeah. We just like Lynn, uh, but yeah, he boy, was, did things take off. Yeah, he, he's become a, a phenomenon since then, winning a Pulitzer but Prize. This, and the, this sequence was, was storyboarded by Dave Pimentel again yeah. and was really one of the first sequences to go into production We in always the movie. wanted to have a, a scene in the movie, a song really, that celebrated voyaging and tried to get some of the exhilaration of being out on the open sea because so many of us have never experienced anything like that. So we knew if we were going to found a movie about navigation and voyaging, we had to have a scene that really put you right on the ocean with the characters, and that's what that song was all about. Why did we stop? Now, backstory. Brown has to do some exposition. Um, although it was cool, again, I think, I think Dave boarded this as well and really found a visual way to sort of uh, highlight this story. We don't like to just have... We think of this as a visual medium, so wherever we can, we really want you know this to work that way. I do. Our, our goal, our goal is always that if you could turn the sound down, you should still be able to follow the movie. So try it at home. Turn the sound down and see if you can still follow the story. If you can, the whole idea it worked the way we hoped it would. The whole idea of this cave being. Uh, tucked behind this waterfall. I believe that was Ian Gooding's idea, but we love that image of just, you know, b ships being hidden behind water, coming out through water. It was really kind of like it gave a rebirth of voyaging, which was cool. And uh, this blight, there were different threats to the island. Some seemed so dark that we could never sing a song because it was such a bleak, you know, there were, the islands were erupting, they were sinking. It was, so we wanted something that was impending, but not right on the island. So it didn't seem like it was a very horrible it's, world it's that if, she was leaving. Yeah, as um, if there were bad things happening, but most people can't see yeah, they're, the, they're, the danger to the environment that, right. that is, is, could be going on and could lead to trouble. Yeah. 
Um, this is sort of a restatement of uh, an Opatai melody from earlier, and uh, really uh, Opatai's song when, the, when, as a toddler, she first met the ocean. That was a, a based on a Tavaka song, and, and really the Pacific Island color from that comes from Opatai. Why would it choose? We struggled and struggled with with the idea of the ocean as a character in the movie, and how the ocean related to Moana, and how that we still have limitations. That doesn't mean that because Moana has this powerful ally that that uh, she can't have problems. It was a balance issue. And there was always a question with Grandma because we thought she was going to die here, and there were different ways it happened. Some. She, it sort of played out differently in the story. This is where it wound up, and it was a delicate thing. We were trying in that last scene to convey sort of my mission has been done, I'm at peace now, and Jakob Fry, a great animator, had to animate that and try and put that over in just the way she sat down and leaned forward and uh, did a terrific job. Dad's mad Speaking now. of great animation, this is some really, yeah, really strong animation. Yeah, Nathan Engelhart did this stuff coming up. This is Nathan's as, as she uh, really tries to pull him, and this is sort of... Uh, going to propel her into this whole next movement as he rejects her, you know, he just discredits the whole thing. Um, again, beautifully lit by our lighting department, Adolf and all the lighters, just fantastic work. Um, and now we come to really one of the most emotional scenes in the movie as they head back to see Grandma and this thing. Of course, there's, there's Troy, Troy again, once again. Troy again. Yeah. again. Troy, Troy briefly appeared. This, this sequence was, was storyboarded by the brilliant John Rippa, yeah. um, who Ton was of our co-head co of story and a really terrific Yeah, board so artist. much emotion in his boards and the stage. The staging was great, the expressions were great, the emotion was fabulous, and the animators really rose to the occasion. There was a whole, whole bunch of animators, including Amy and Jeff Engel and uh, uh, Justin Sklar and, and Benson... Uh, and this, uh, this Young Jay Choi, just This great kind work. of subtle animation is not easy. It's very difficult. Yeah, to pull it was off. like just even the slightest little look from one person to the other. Tony DeRosa's seen here with a whisper in the ear. Um, and, and of course, there's a, an importance to this whole necklace now that she's going to give over. This is sort of a Joseph Campbell type moment where really she gets her, her mission when she you know, takes that heart of Tafiti, that little green stone and puts it in the necklace, and she's got her mission for the movie, and it's a call that she can either accept or reject, and she accepts it, but reluctantly because she doesn't want to leave her grandmother behind, very powerfully acted by Rachel. When she did this, you know, when we were hearing her record this, we were nearly in tears because she was so, so moving, and Ali'i as well, just very sincere and believable and uh, very tactile scene. They do a hongi here, which is a gesture of uh, uh, intimacy and uh, sharing of breath that's done in the Pacific Islands, and... We tried to incorporate that throughout the movie when people come in contact with each other. It yeah, happened to us all early, on the island. Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple earlier ones with dad uh -huh. and mom with the toddler. But this was a really important one. Yeah, and of course Maui on the on the top of here, an image of Maui. And it was fun playing with the stylization of Maui on the different sort of uh, print elements in the movie. And now as she swells, there's this reprise. And there were discussions back and forth. There was always a reprise here. but. There are questions, which part of it would be sung on stage and which would not be, and would we show mom or not? At one point, this got cut shorter and mom was barely in this, and fortunately, I think we restored it to these scenes because it really gives you, I think, an emotional heft to her leaving that mom endorses this and yet is sorrowful but just giving her permission to go. I think it was a really cool thing that was, uh, you know, in the boards. Oh, spoiler alert, but I won't go into more details, but there, yeah, there um, was there was a don't Easter go, egg. Don't go into any There was an Easter egg uh, uh, reference yeah. that... 
So now this, uh, as she looks back and the lights go out, we were really trying to play Grandma Has Died, but to kind of do it off stage. And then the celebration, we heard about animal totems when we were in the Pacific Islands, how people feel that animals would reappear, you know, their ancestors might reappear in the form of some kind of animal, often a marine-type animal. And we thought a manta ray was so beautiful in the elegance of the way it moved that it really fit with Grandma. And then out of that, I think, grew the idea that, well, let's put a tattoo on her because that, that'll sort of foreshadow what she's going to be. And, and the bioluminescence. Bioluminescence uh, is such a great physical phenomenon. We studied it, you know, uh, online and in various, and we had various, you know. We had videos put together of just all kinds of Right, but of it seemed different. almost like our, like it's Pacific Island pixie dust, but it's so magical and beautiful and visual, we thought we've got to exploit that for the movie. And here, yeah. this we struggle over this. This is based on the real. There is a, a constellation of Maui's fishhook in the sky. It's not as many stars as that, and it's a little tougher to pick out. And it's really the tail of the Scorpion constellation, but that's sort of roughly the orientation of it in the southern hemisphere. But we added more stars just to make it a little more explicit, so you wouldn't miss it. Now, hey, this this kind of funny introduction of hey went way back, and even. When they were thinking of cutting Hey Hey out of the movie, I never was. Other people were. I'm like, you can't lose this thing. So he kept, even though Hey Hey's an idiot here, he's slightly more sentient here in that he knows enough to be afraid when he's out in the middle of nowhere. It's his and most it's, sentient moment, and except the, for one later moment. Yeah, but it's the, one of the biggest laughs in the movie. Hey Hey plays so well visually and comedically. Adam Green supervised the animation. A number of animators yeah, worked it, on him, but Adam did a hilarious job. These are Adam's scenes here with her, her stifling this thing, and Alan Ostergaard did the earlier animation with uh, where she's really fumbling around trying to figure a way around this and uh, uh, and Chris Williams brought uh, this was brought boarded by Chris yeah Chris Williams this, I think so much of the movie key sequences have been boarded by Chris and this was one of them where uh, how you know she fumbles here and hey hey the comedy of all this it really grew out of Chris's boards which were fabulous Alan Tudyk's wonderful gurgling there uh, drowned on the recording stage nearly um, and this tableau, just to, just to get to laugh, the tableau gay, which is in Chris's boards. It was really, we're just trying Al, yeah. to get his boards in the movie. Alan Tudyk, the one voice actor in the movie who who is not... Of Polynesian descent. Okay, next up, Maui. And of course, Ali has a slight Hawaiian accent, so there's certain words like canoe and Maui that you can hear her accent on, which we always loved. We felt it gave her an islandy feeling in just a kind of a subtle way, but we, Nicole, we loved her accent. Nicole Scherzinger, who, who played her mother, um, has the same accent when she wants to use it. When she wants to. Um, these night scenes were a challenge because we wanted them to be, uh, to her to be very isolated out at sea, but not be so dark you couldn't read it. And at times these were so dark, we had to back off a little bit because you were like, where's the boat, where is she? And it got a little bit tough. Although we did really want to present her with an enormous problem here. This wasn't in some of the earlier drafts, but we really felt like really make it hard for her. She isn't a capable sailor when she starts out so that she's got somewhere to go. So literally, I think this is a very compelling moment here. One, of, one of the early ones animated as well. This, yeah, this, this is one of the first sequences. Really, yeah, very, very early. Uh, effects yeah. had so much to have to deal with in this movie, effects animation. Um, we saw storms when we were in the Pacific Islands and, you know, lightning and crashing around the sky, and we wanted to capture some of the scale and scope of what we felt in yeah. the islands in this Yeah, sequence. the skies seem darker, the stars seem brighter, and the lightning is incredible. Um, it's so visceral. Yeah. We really wanted to put the audience in her, in her shoes, so these points of view really suggest, you know, trying to get you caught up with her. And I think... Uh, Boarded this way, but I think Jeff Drawheim, our wonderful yeah. editor, Jeff Drawheim, really helped best. construct 
that ending and many other points in the movie where he really was one of the storytellers on the movie along with Jared Bush and, and Chris and Don and Dave and John and all those guys and Pam. Really, uh, Jeff was a key player and his editing really did so much for this. Of course, this was my idea to make her all... I, I just, I love, uh, you know, askew hair. I wanted to get a visual joke of some kind here, so I said, could you... It's a nightmare in CG, though, like, to do her hair like this. They have to re-rig the hair, and it isn't really meant to go this way. Like, please, just give her weird hair here. And the sand is gone, which was... Yeah. You didn't yeah. notice how quickly Zubin, she yeah, got Zubin all Zubin brushed stuff. off the sand there, our effects yeah. animator. Got the sand off in time for this thing to happen. Again, Chris, I think this went back to some of Chris's boards here, where she interacted uh, with the water this way, as she's sort of upset. Um... We had all sorts of different things in the script for how the ocean would bring her to this island. You know, sometimes it was very direct, sometimes it was more indirect. This was a bit of a mixture of both. And now we're coming toward the introduction of one certain demigod, one kind of superhero of both the Polynesian world and one of Although show I, business I love, as well. I, I love that water scene. Um, yeah. That, that's one of my favorite water scenes. Or, And so here, yeah, Kira, Kira Latamaki, who was a supervisor on some of the other movies, did a short stint on our movie, but this is one of the scenes Carrie got to animate. Did a fabulous job of just her kind of rehearsing her lines here, this kind of theatricality of it, and but uncertainty. A really wonderful bit of acting in here by what, with what Kara did. And the introduction of our demigod, Maui. And who better to voice a demigod than, of course, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, the man himself, who... Of course, this character, we always thought of him, you know, as he's a real figure in Polynesian mythology, shapeshifter, bigger than life, had the magical fish hook. Our original versions yeah. of him had him bald, and then we got pushback from our Tahitian advisors. He's got to have a big head of hair. So we gave him that, but it created and a bit the, of a nightmare for the animation, the technical animation. And this introduction of Maui was probably different versions. There were probably about 10 different oh, versions yeah. of the introduction of Maui. This was storyboarded by Don Hall. There were um, earlier ones by Dave from Mental. We had written some, or there were some that were written where it was almost Ryan, like he was Ryan Green did some. borderline amnesiac, and he was he was so covered in moss and leaves he looked like an animal, and you couldn't tell if he was an animal or a person. And we really struggled for a long time, although it helped once we we moved that prologue to the beginning, and he became a little bit more of a villain that it enabled him almost now to sing this song he's about to sing, where he can say, in effect, you got it all wrong, and I'm a good guy, and don't you know all the amazing things, which enables us to tell the audience all these things that Maui did, which are part of his folklore, but we had a, we wanted to work it in for a Western audience. It was always a plan that he would have a song, yeah. but it took a while to get to, to yeah. this this idea. Right, it was Lynn's concept. He said, no, it should be called You're Welcome. He's just thanking everybody for all the great things he did, kind of a mock brag. And he came, once we got to this point where, you know, Maui was a little bit more villainous at the beginning, and he had to kind of show, hey, I'm a good guy. Lynn ran with this so fast and uh, recorded, you know, the first demo we heard of this was Lynn himself. And, of course, there's a big rap section in the middle, which Lynn was a tour de force for Lynn because he's so good at that kind of stuff. And there was always confidence that Dwayne Johnson would be good at singing this song, and he was eager to do the song, and he and, did a great job. Yeah, Matt Cablin, the great Matt Cablin, our animation supervisor on Maui, and helped really pull all this stuff together and did some of the scenes during the song and amazing animation. And you saw and, a little glimpse of mini Maui there, who came along as the story developed, animated by Eric Goldberg, and it was a wonderful device to kind of undercut the pomposity of the character that he could have this 
sort of conscious that would say, hey, wait a minute, and actually took more of a liking to Moana. So in a way, there were three characters in the scene, or four if you count the ocean. And uh, real choreography going on in this song. Huh? Yeah, again, Tiana did some great stuff, and uh, Daniel Klug pulled things from this, and Mac did, and, uh, and, and the animators. And the tour de force uh, of minor, hair. This, yeah. this, the hair on this is, is amazing, yeah. and this hair is hard to do. It's not easy. As we say, Maui was once bald, um, and it, it was a complication to the budget of the movie to give him this also cool the hair. necklace. You know, the necklace is very complicated, and the same people that did the hair had to do all the little movements of the necklace. Which at one point we thought we're not going to be able to do it in the movie. So if you notice, he doesn't have a necklace in this scene. We had him take off the necklace, and at one point he was never going to get it back. And then we really missed the necklace, and we said, "Can't we?" And it turned out the Tech Anna people said, "No, we can do the necklace." They figured out how to do it. So the next scene, when you see him on the boat, he's got a necklace again, and he's going to have a necklace for the, have that for the rest of the film. Mark Hen's great, wonderful animation. Yeah, great there. tattoo animation, and, yeah. and uh, Mark Hen, one of the great 2D animators, he worked. Uh, did stuff in the song, actually some of the stuff where the, and Randy Haycock did as well, where these little things are moving on the top of, that's that sort of background element, those are, a, th those are uh, hand-drawn, hand animation. There's a little bit of an influence, particularly in what's coming up, of this is kind of like Mary Poppins in that it, it combines CG animation with a world of, of uh, hand-drawn tapa animation. Yeah, this is tapa world, world. A dimensional world laid over a flat world. You know, this is a shout-out. Zach Parrish animated that scene, and the gesture he did with that fruit rolling down his arm was a call-out to Aladdin, where he did the same thing with an apple, and he just said, did you notice my shout-out? And it was all Zach's idea, but brilliant animator, funny animation, and uh, cool to do the little shout-out. There's another little Easter egg there we won't tell you, but there was something that just happened there if you go back. Easter egg alert. Look again. But uh, but this was also one of the earlier sequences to go into animation, but it, it actually stayed in animation a long time because that top of world stuff was hard. Yeah, tough to do. And now again, Chris Williams did this scene, storyboarded this scene and this next scene where she runs to the boat. And it was really a key scene in getting the relationship between Maui and Moana, uh, sort of, you know, how they would sort of ricochet against each other. And, and a fun, fun interaction with the tattoo here. Yeah, Eric Goldberg's animation. Some, this was yeah. actually some of the first tattoo animation. Yeah, Justin Weber did. Justin Weber did the th CG Maui, and then Eric Goldberg did the the two D uh, version here. And, and you know, a great combination of both forms. A little bit of a side straight to camera. We don't do that very often, but we thought it was it was in the boards. So it was funny, and we stayed with it. We had a tough time with this statue. There were, <laughs> this is a statue of Maui, and there were various times where people said that statue looks wrong somehow. It was, it was there were design issues for us, so that kept getting redone many times until we arrived at this version. And uh, we're happy with the way it ultimately came out. And the little uh, nose on the nose here. It's on the nose, I guess. That was the problem. Um, Daniel Pesci animated this scene, one of my favorite. He did, he did a lot of fun scenes. This one where he... This, Daniel did this as well. Young Spanish animator, very talented, super guy, and can do 2D as well as CG animation. And uh, hey, hey, one of the big laughs in the movie, I think, is yeah, his Some of it is just Maui's look, that yeah. incredulous look. Yeah, that, Daniel uh, did this whole little Can, can a chicken possibly yeah. be that stupid? Right. I love the, way, the athletic way she gets out of here. It really was part of her character, the way she could be so athletic. Yeah, we yeah. designed her so that she could do things like this, and it made her different than the other princesses and it just felt right for the physical demands because she has kind of an action Once adventure. Again, this was some of the first animation done and we added some athletic stuff earlier in the movie to uh, to set this up. Yes, there was a line that isn't there anymore about... You know, you just, don't, don't, we had don't a lot of different that gag lines that yeah, we no. tried to preview. We had a line for the preview when we previewed it in Arizona when the movie was nearly done. 
that died a thousand deaths, and so that line went away. And everyone cheered. Everyone here cheered that didn't like the line. People in the audience, they didn't know what they were missing, but it, it works better without that line now. But all this back and forth was really set up in Chris's boards, but the animators, wonderful job with, uh, you know, the way they played one off the other. Uh, it just the comedy of this, Mario Fromanchik did some scenes, Val oh, Humidor, yeah, yeah. Shang Fujang, uh, Justin Slar, really uh, good stuff here. And Michael yeah, Woodside. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, that's a fun scene. And, of course, we and had this nightmare of all these scenes of the boat on the water. They really had to, in effect, animate the boat first because the ocean's moving. That's a great scene. That... Yeah, Mario Fromanchik did this whole little set piece here. And just the expressions are so good. He did this as well with the, the falling over and conking out. And uh, Darren Butters takes over uh, here where he swims. A lot of animators worked on this movie. 90 animators. We've never worked with that many yeah. animators. But you can see the amazing textures in this, too. With the, and her wet, her outfit is wet, it's dry. It was just a big nightmare. But to keep track of just from a continuity point of view, as well as they had to develop simulation, so the hair would move differently when it was wet, then it was dry. Her costume would move differently, wet and dry. And it was a never-ending uh, sort of battle that way. My hook, get it away from me. We, we really wanted to... Uh, sell the idea that he was sort of afraid of this. I think John had a question about this, so we added a little scene there. We kind of shrank back from this just to make it more explicit that he was afraid of this because of what had happened in the past. And, uh, and now we're, we're segueing into one yes, of our action a, set big, pieces. Big set piece. Yeah. Big, big action set piece. Actually, these Start. guys coming up, yes. Yeah. The nefarious Kakamura, which were actually sort of uh, brought into the story by the writers Aaron and Jordan Candell, who are from Hawaii. Twin brothers who eat off each other's plates. It's really kind of horrifying to look at. They order lunch. Halfway through lunch, they exchange plates, and they eat the rest off the other person's plate. I have twin sons. They never did that in their life. These guys, I don't know what it is. But they did come up with this idea of bringing in the Kakamura. Based which a little are based bit on the Menahuni from Hawaii. Which, which are they little, know well. They know well, but we didn't want this to be grown in Hawaii, so they found the Kakamura, which are sort of the equivalent of the Menahuni in the Solomon Islands, I think, from further out in the Pacific. And they are sort of mischievous. They do tricky things. And we thought, could they be our adversaries, these kind of scavenger pirates? And John Rippa uh, storyboarded this sequence, did a masterpiece. Yeah. All the staging of what you're seeing, this you know high-octane stuff came from John Rippa, who was doing an homage to a certain genre of action-adventure movies that sometimes are set in a post-apocalyptic world with some, you know, barren landscapes it's, it's, and tattooed people. It's an homage, people. it's an homage. It's just If there happened to be a movie generally. that came out around the time that, that John was boarding the sequence and, and he was influenced by that, yeah, so I mean, be it. Yeah, he was very, uh, John channeled so much of his own furiosity into this, I think, that he, uh, he got it on the screen here. Of course, a little gag with Hey. We are always looking for things with Hey yeah. in the midst of this stuff. And even the idea of Hey being stupid enabled us to make him well, sort of swallow it, this. Uh, it added a here. really. This whole sequence was was done without Hey swallowing the. Yeah. Um, Initially, the, it wasn't the heart. Right. Um, and then that and was one of the the ideas that saved Hey Hey. Kept him in the movie was the idea that what if he actually did yeah, swallow and, the heart? Yeah. Uh, and Esvandi, great. Uh, Persian uh, visual development artists really helped create this island along with Ian Gooding and Andy and all the all the environmental people who had to build this thing and all the last details, Brian, Einman, and various people. It was amazing, but uh, I love the kind of richness of the detail of this floating 
barge that these guys run. And so crowds, more, Yasser yeah. Hammett supervised all our crowds in the movie. We've got thousands of those crazy uh, cockamore. And actually, they were deliberately designed to actually be easier in production so they if you open those coconuts there's nothing in there they didn't yeah. build faces we don't for even them. know what's in there yeah because but we didn't have the money to sort of finish them off so we said let's i think brian kessinger the story came up with the idea put them in coconut armor and you will never have to see them but this idea of hey hey eating the heart that actually saved the chicken uh kept him in the movie and everyone celebrated uh by having a, a chicken lunch so Molly gets to do a signature move here that that moana is going to learn from and actually use in the climax of the film when she's battling Taka, and it was a cool sort of callback that she could watch Molly do something here, and then she gets proficient enough later where she can do the move. Um, the, John, I think at one point even, uh, I think John really had the idea that she should, John Rippa, to jump back on this barge so we could really do some landbound, get off a boat for once, or at least she's on a boat, but it's a little bit more landlocked action adventure here where she gets to smack these guys around. It was really fun to let her rip and hey, there's course, another Easter egg in there yeah, that yeah. we won't mention, but look closely at that scene and see if you can find anything. Um, but yeah, this was cool. Was Just seeing her at her fun to have her, her badass beat up, beat up best coconuts. Here, sort of, so. Yeah, she was a it was a great princess. way for her to use her oar. And yeah, my <laughs> minor Gatan animated this. Great, all these scene, this little bit here with, with the guy falling over, the guy getting darted, the guys. Great comic timing, wonderful animator. And uh, here they come, Zach Parrish, take it away. Oh yeah, yeah, we, uh, this is a we, uh, She circles and, role. yeah, just a set piece, and then Chris Cordingly takes over from here, and I, I just love the, the sort of choreography that John really worked out in sports, and Jeff Draheim with his editing, really, in terms of his timing on this as well. It made it just sort of a great sort of climactic moment, except, well now what? A thousand throbbing people. We did, you know, uh, Mark Mancina on the score, he had a huge drum that was like, 16 feet high or something like that for these big, massive drumming scenes that was the big bass drum that underscored the, the low end of all of this. And so great, much great for the Great, sequence. Like, the Set animation. piece, and again, Rob, Rob Dressel and his team, layout team, yeah. they, they unbelievable job at making all that clear. It's a very tough thing to make all that read. But with animation, it's like a relay race. Each animator does his one little bit, and yet it all flows seamlessly that you, you wouldn't realize how many animators did that in and how quickly it was done yeah so of course we've had this whole action set piece so now we like sort of calming things down the camera is more still the scenes are a little longer uh the horizon is more parallel to the edge of the screen yeah, things are a little more stable here and he's basically he's you know refusing to go along and she's really going to have to we, it really it was fun because now moana's really got to find how can she possibly talk this guy into doing it who doesn't want to do it totally reluctant guy and uh, wonderful animation is sort of, you see her processing, and we're gonna come up with a bit that I think, uh, as I recall, I think it was Ali's improv when we have the cheering, you know, uh, where she says, you're so amazing. I think that was her ad lib. She was just supposed to do the Moana, Moana. But I think she sort of threw that in and, and great uh, comedy instincts from a 15-year-old girl. Who, how can she do this? She's just superhuman, I don't know. Yeah, she, she could improv, she could sing, she could do everything. A lot of thought went into the time of day through this movie, particularly with all these scenes on the water. No one ever notices or pays attention, but oh, another of my favorite scenes of the ocean. But, yeah, um, just a little head shake now. But um, the subtle ways we sort of go from morning to afternoon, and now we're starting into late in the day. Mark Hennig's animation, sense. 2D animation here, wonderful timing on this. But this is the scene I was alluding to where she does it. That was that was Ali's improv, which was fabulous. 
Um, and now Hyun Min does this great animation of her as she sort of strikes this bargain, wonderful animator. Key scenes of, of Mulan were animated by Hyun Min. God of the wind and sea, hero. Both characters here, sizing her up. Should I go with this or not? Um, and it helped again to have Minnie Maui be sort of the audience cue. Come on, shake, buddy. Why don't you shake? It, it really warmed Maui up. It redeemed him a little bit more. Um, Chris Williams, I think that was his bit in terms of the end, or maybe Jared's, I can't remember. Um, this gesture that they're doing is based on real navigation. We saw it earlier in the We Know the Way thing where you put one thumb on the horizon and you touch the star with your index finger and it's a way of measuring distance that helps you navigate. And we tried to incorporate some traditional navigational, but yeah. old school navigational uh, methods. Once again, we tried This bowling nut, oh, John Laster, crazy. He had seen a guy tie this knot, and he's like, he had it on his cell phone, and he said, you got to get in the movie. He showed it on his cell phone, so we had the anime. Look at John Laster's cell phone. See the way the guy's tying this knot? Do that in the movie. And for a while, we lost the cell phone scene, so we had to get it back. But really, this does go through some of the basic ideas of dead reckoning, which is how you sail with no instruments, just by studying the stars and the currents. this line coming up, Jared Bush's line. Oh, yes. We got more comments about this line than any other line in the movie. I think it was Jared's line. There was another line in there for the preview that had to do with dresses that didn't play all that well. So this actually came very late after the preview. He he rewrote it and... Uh, same idea. Same idea, but a funnier version of it and one that lands better. And uh, it really kills in the screenings, as does uh, this sequence generally, just with him being darted. And, and of course, the slight bathroom humor that's coming up. And uh, we, of course, shy away from bathroom humor wherever we can, but occasionally we... We actually we had those. a little more bathroom humor, and we, we took some of it out. We, we kept, did, We yes. kept the best of the bathroom humor, but this was probably... This is probably the best of all. So it was fun. Basically, this made it easier for him to let her sell the boat, the fact that he was incapacitated. It was a way of using sort of a plot device to help sell a character point, because it seemed like in many cases he just wouldn't let her do it, but it was really sort of forced to do this, so it, it helped. And of course, this joke, one of the biggest laughs in the movie. Wait, it's getting warmer. Oh, that is disgusting! What is wrong with you? <laughs> And this scene went different places. This is a little This actually dream was in the, the John Rippa uh, storyboarded this. It was in the movie in different places. Yeah, we, we were trying it, it was around. Al it was always designed to keep the threat of what to cause threat to the original island, to keep that threat alive. And we wanted that through the second act of the movie to still remind us, wait a minute, there are stakes back on the home island. But where it landed, it came in different spots, and it served different things, and it ultimately Actually, moved back think, to where yeah, it had originally. I think it I think, started where I started here, right, and then, and then, it, then it moved to other places, right, and finally it ended up back where it started. Yeah, which happens and again. This Ash, wonderful sort of set piece from our effects department, Marlon and Dale. Uh, yeah, Blair Pierpont was involved in developing some of this, and uh, Yori animated that last shot. Fabulous job. Enjoy your beauty rest. You know, a real and now we come up to the impossible cliff. We always knew we wanted a sequence in the yeah, Polynesian the undersea world, and it it happened in various different ways throughout many iterations of the story. Yeah, there a million was always, different There versions. was always a cliff jump. And there was always a sequence that took place under the sea, you know, at the sea floor in this alternate world. And some of them involved spirits, earlier ones. We went away from that idea. Trust me, my hook is the coolest collectible. And he lives up there? 
we searched a lot, and there was there very a lot of different places under the ocean. Yep. And, but there is a realm of monsters and demons. We right. we found that in our research, and that's where they go. Yeah, and and. Uh, Early drawings, so this is basalt rock. Ian is the geologist around here. He knows how this really works. But it's based on real geoforms. And there is an island that has a very severe shape that I can't remember the name of it. I think uh, near New Zealand somewhere. But Ian will correct me later. Say, no, no, you're completely wrong. Um, this joke was in and out the whole you know, thing of where he says, hey, come on, don't you get it? It's a joke. It's funny. It, it was gone for a while. I'm glad it's back in. Yeah. But, you know. It was mostly gone because of length. We, we have... Big problems with length with probably every movie we've yeah. ever done. Uh, it's like it's too long, it's way too long. It's like you got to cut stuff, you got to cut stuff, uh, you got to get it shorter. But finally, things sort of end up the way they now, should. Don, I think. Don Hall, this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie where she looks down. I don't know why. Justin yeah, I Weber's love that animation. Scene too. I love that Weber, scene. Great shot. Um, Don Hall storyboarded this, and he really. You know, it really became, it wasn't just sort of a continuity scene. Now, it really became a character thing, and it really developed their relationship. It was visual, it was fun, and uh, it was uh, it's, was really kind of a neat landscape to play this out against, where it's just kind of elemental, just these two and, guys and in a pile of rocks. And Jared wrote some really good dialogue here. Jared's and this, this is part is of fabulous. what makes you question the ocean, like... Uh, and uh, which is important. And to get in Moana's head, like, am I really this one or not? Like, yeah, to give her these moments of where uh, she looks like, I think I'm this. Am I really some, this? There's some a little doubt. bit of doubt. There's that doubt. doubt creeps in from time yeah. to time. And, of course, as she walks across here, Jared wrote this line that Maui says, one of his funniest lines. She looks out and looks like perhaps she's going to sing. Or freeze it. If you start singing, I'm going to throw up. Yeah, it's just... Uh, and wonderful delivery by Dwayne. Dwayne was great with all the comedy he improvised, and, and he was just a joy to work with. We often recorded him. We had to go to him. We had to go to Florida. We had to go to Boston, wherever he was shooting a movie. Atlanta. He did about three or four movies in the course of yeah. doing this movie, yeah. I think, and, and a TV show I thought we were going to well. say in the course of this commentary. Well, think, probably but, yeah, he has, yeah, but he also yeah. did a TV show, Ballers, was going on, along with Fast and Furious. We had a, a young New Zealand guy taught us all a haka, our own personal haka that we did at our starship pitch. We learned the All Blacks haka as well, but then he gave us our own, which people performed at the rap party and sort of tied to the movie. And it's a great physical, you know, it just channels all your mana. And now here we go off into the realm of the underworld. And uh, Amanda Wagner's animation as we go down here. And this, this spiraling thing, Ian Cooney designed this sort of spiral of uh, but dots. But the, the idea of an, another world beneath the ocean comes from the mythology. Right. And we felt like we, we've got to have that. So. Right. And Ian, early on, Ian Cooney, our production designer, had, had put together a whole library of, of undersea life that has this amazing fluorescence down at the bottom of the sea. It's some of the most colorful sea life you could find. And we said, we've got to get in the movie. So we really played it up in this sequence. It really is uh, keyed so beautifully and amazingly. That goes back to Ian's original uh, thoughts. And Andy Harkness's color keys based on uh, what Ian was doing through, through a lot of this. There was a song that appeared here at one point called Warrior Face, which you're going to he hear on our uh, deleted scenes. And it took, it was right in this area, but we felt that 
it may may have bonded them almost too early, and we wanted to keep them at odds longer. And we thought the Tomatoa thing, the actually giving Tomatoa song, I think it might have been Jared's idea. I can't remember, but it it just seemed like it was better to hold off something bonding between the two of them for later on. So that's actually well, maybe an Easter egg reference, but there are a couple Easter egg yeah, references here's, here. Here's an Easter egg oh. here. We won't tell you. Who do you think's behind that mask? We won't tell you, but keep guessing. And he's, it was in one of the recent movies. We'll, we'll give you that much. It wasn't really done to be an Easter egg. It was done because we were running out of, of uh, characters that we assets. could design and rig yeah. assets. Yeah, we had it's to complicated. Yeah, again, Chris Williams' boards, Alan Ostergaard's animation, Ali's hilarious delivery, and Dwayne's as well. We get to play so a pair here. We're getting here now into some of the very last stuff animated in yeah. the movie. We've seen some of the early stuff. This was probably the last yeah, sequence animated. last sequence. It took probably the last three weeks of production. Most of the movie was animated in six to eight months, which on a hand-drawn schedule seems impossible. I don't know, but we had so many animators that were so great in I mean, CG. The, I don't know if that was part of it, but somehow uh, we got it done. They yeah. got it done. and uh, But this was one of the last things this, animated. It's hard to believe, but this sequence was probably animated, the most bulk of it, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, two to three weeks, basically, most of this. Wonderful job, Benson Chum. And these at least here. half the staff worked on this sequence because it was right at the end. And uh, the look here is so great. The look, what, they, what the environmental people did with this shell and all the design. We really wanted to, there's a song coming up that's shiny, so certainly it had to be... We want it to be really spectacular looking. He's all about bling, this crab, and so it was important to make him as blingy as possible, and they found ways to just, uh, you know, really go to town with this. Um, I mean, there was always, Tamatoa was always pretty much in the movie right from the beginning, but he wasn't always a crab. Uh, he started out as, as a headless warrior based on some mythology that we read. Yeah, no, um, Taika gave him the name Tamatoa, which I think means warrior in, in various specific languages. But he evolved. Yeah, and Jermaine, Jermaine Clement really added. Yeah, um, Jared wrote this, but Jermaine worked around with this, and the pick one, pick one. I think some of that was improved uh, by Jermaine, but uh, uh, we love the idea of Jermaine. Jermaine actually went to school with Taika back in New Zealand, and was a, a mate of his, and they in fact did a two-man show about Maui years and years ago. I think during college. But his very deadpan, dry sense of humor that you see on Flight of the Concords, we really want to channel that. And in fact, once we said we wanted to do a song with him, Lynn, who was a fan of Flight of the Concords anyway, went back and binged watched them all over again and just said, I've got an idea for the kind of song that the crab might sing, that Jermaine might really work for him, a very Concords-like song. So it was just like Dwayne's song was written specifically for him. This song was written specifically for Jermaine. Right, and the last, pretty much the last song written for the movie and we really looked at, you know, various, you know, videos of uh, rock performance. One performer in particular, who this is sort of an homage to, to really get some of the mannerisms and gestures uh, that we might uh, mimic a bit. And I think people know who I'm talking about. And the, the animators really, this is some of the broadest animation in the movie, but it was, it's sort of its own thing. It's its its, its own animal, so to speak. And, and they really had fun with the expressions and trying to, Jen Hager supervised uh, this character. And, and she really, uh, she did an amazing job, I think, of uh, having fun with all the way his mouth distorted, the eyes worked independently, the way he moves is sort of choreographed like a dance. and. Kind of, and it's all kind of silly, in a good way, I think. And uh, and if you if you study his shell carefully, um, there are Easter eggs within his shell. 
if you take a closer look. Um, of course, Maui's Fishick. We did want some comedy transformations in the movie. Nathan Hengel, Engelhardt's animation here, but uh, some of these go by so quickly, we didn't have to rig the entire character. We could just do it very simply, so it wasn't as complex as it might have been otherwise. I think Chris Williams really wanted him to turn into a horse, but we could yeah. not afford the horse. Yeah, Chris was big. He's got to be a horse, but we, we somehow didn't get the horse in here. But we got, we, got, we got a reindeer instead of a horse. Jackie's animation on that scene where the eye looks at the other eye. Fantastic scene. And now we're back into the song, and... Manhandling Maui, it was fun because Lynn said he thought of this as his answer to Les Poissons, the song from Little Mermaid, where there's a crab who gets sadistically manhandled by a guy. Here's a scene where a demigod gets sadistically manhandled by a crab. It was sort of turning it in reverse, and it was fun for him to kind of do his own cockeyed sort of homage to Les Poissons. Um, and I think uh, Norm LeMay, storyboarded this, did an amazing yeah, job. Yeah, He's nominated yeah. for an Annie for his work on this. and. Uh, he, this whole blacklight idea, I think, was his. When the shell closes and suddenly we go into a whole blacklight world, it was really fun for the letters and for us to kind of look at how can we stage this now in this limited thing. Joey Brown's funny animation on the strumming there. Yeah, now we're getting, we start to allude a little bit to Maui's backstory. In, in earlier versions, we always had some allusions to that there was more to Maui than met the eye that we got into in this underworld. And, uh, and this was a good way of doing it within the song where you hint just slightly at it and it'll be explained much more thoroughly later. In the meantime, we just sort of beat Maui up as yeah, much as possible. Yeah. We wanted this to be painful. It was kind of like a prize fight that he's losing. And we had different versions, but we liked the idea of really making, you know, reducing him, really having him on the short end of uh, making him more vulnerable. And You notice Tamato's eyes are different colors? Yes, that's a little homage to him. A certain rock and roll persona. Hey! I got something shiny for you. These are some ad libs of Jermaine, I think. You can't run from me. Oh, you can. You keep surprising me. <laughs> Jermaine has a way of making the obvious seem funny. Um, and so now we really wanted to. Uh, you know, pull a reversal on the audience and yet have them sort of buy that, you know, she tricked the crab, just like the audience has been a little bit deceived by all this, and uh, and put her in the driver's seat. It's really her saving Molly. It's fun to see her saving the supposed demigod that she's really got to pull him out, and it gives him a little more respect for her, and it pulls them together more that she's the one that really uh, rescues him from this jam. That's probably one of the last scenes animated in the movie. Yeah. And these geysers were used, they became a device to sort of get her quickly, get them both quickly up to the water's surface so that we didn't have to spend as much time doing that. So much for Tamatoa. And uh, Jason Hand storyboarded this scene coming up. The yeah, whole yeah. half shark thing did hilarious drawings, very funny, that really this is one of the comic highlights within the middle of the movie. Storyboard drawings are hilarious. And then the animation, Abe Aguiar, hilarious, great animation, and Matt Cablin, very, the more underplayed it was, the more funny it was, really. And uh, also, her uh, her reactions are really fun on this. Yeah, too. Nicola, his animations as well. Yeah, and, and Daniel Pesci did some of her reactions there, which are just uh, and uh, Michael Clem, great work. Look, the point is, for a little girl child thing, whatever. Yeah, just this incidental thing. Yeah, I think that was Abe's animation, as I recall. Yeah, just a uh, really fun little detail. This is a fun scene too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they had to model him, you know, they, it's a question of how did they do it. So if, if you, we saw some scenes, if you took that shark head away, they actually took Maui's, the rest of his body, and shrunk it down really tiny. So you'd see like a tiny little head of Maui underneath that shark It was shark scary. Head. It was it scary. Was, yeah, you don't want to see they what's really underneath out, that thing. There's some yeah. of the scariest outtakes I've ever seen yeah, on some of, some of the movies. Very disturbing. Hand-drawn films don't, don't get that scary when things go wrong. Yeah. Again, it was fun to do a visual, sort of comic visual set piece like this in the middle. And now we, this is going to, the scene it starts jokey and then it's going to turn more serious. And it's another, a, a bonding sort of another scene. Another John Rippa. Uh, yeah, John Rippa did such an amazing job on the boards on this. And uh, Bert Klein, very funny animation coming up here with this. Um, multi creatures. And it, we got to, and of course, Mao, you see his hair is tied up in his man bun. I've seen comments on those people really like that in her as well. That was driven at least in part by production issues, Laura. It became easier to animate the hair if it was tied up, but it really is true to the culture, too. So a lot of girls I've seen really relate to the idea that she would tie up her hair. Ali used to do that during the recording sessions. If it got in her way, very effortlessly did that. So it's yeah. fun to do it with her it's and with within, him as well. Within seconds. Yeah. And all these tattoos on his body. Mac George designed these tattoos. Bill Schwab had a hand in it. It was really, we wanted them to tell a story. They're based on Marquesan and other real tattoos. But... Uh, and this one is sort of a key one that really sort of tells the backstory of and this is this whole is sort of based secret. on real mythology. The this backstory of Maui, although there are many different versions of the Maui stories, which right. we found out that uh, uh, there every island sort of has their own version of the Maui stories, and many islands think that they're unique that he Maui totally belongs to them, but really he's a demigod, and his stories are told throughout the Pacific Island. Again, we tried to thread the ocean through some of these shots so that he's still, the ocean is still alive, but a bit in the background. But now comes this really sort of intimate scene where she lets down her guard, he lets down his guard. It's really a crucial scene for pulling the two of them together. Wonderful acting, Andrew Lawson here on this shot, the animator. And really, you know, they really had to sort of dig into the acting on this stuff, on both characters. The Maui really isn't doing much on his scenes. He's nearly immobile on a lot of these shots, but it was really important to get his his thought process and, and the emotion in these scenes. And uh, they did a terrific job, as well as the lighting. Chris Springfield uh, was involved in getting on this, all these scenes lit and uh, really making them feel like they reflect the mood, this kind of somber mood, uh, and yet some warmth in the sky because it's a warm yet somber scene. So they, they, they found just the right, I think, color palette for this. It still surprises me that some people find it hard to understand that animators are primarily actors. They're really good actors. And the animators we had on this movie were, were excellent actors. And that, that along with all the technical knowledge they have to have, primarily uh, they have to be able to, to act. They gave me the hook. They made me loud. Yeah, and, and Dwayne's delivery on this sequence was so great. We we had to record a couple of times just because there were some little rewrites here and there, but every time he did it, he just got so much into the heart of this. And I'd seen Dwayne do uh, some stuff even on, on his TV show, Ballers, that I thought was really sensitively acted. I think he's a really good actor that he doesn't get credit for. And a lot of the movies don't really demand much of him, I think. Well, he's they don't capable of it demand all. a lot of sensitive acting. They demand they, a other, lot of other action, skills, action other skills, heroics. But, and, but I, I'm more happy that we had both the action-y stuff and these subtle things. Jeff Engel did this long, long scene. One of the last This is animated. the longest scene in the movie, actually. Yeah, I think this is long. It might be like 40 seconds long, and it's just the two of them. And it all relies on the acting and all the little subtle eye darts and 
you know, opened his mouth and thinks. And for any of you animation students out there, you could really look at this scene of him, and it's just sort of a marvel and just kind of understated reaction and processing. Yeah. He's not saying anything. He's just thinking. Yeah. That's just trying to show the audience. Of course, we had to distort his anatomy there a little bit so you could get the feeling that he would hug. So a uh, great team of people really conspired to, how do we make that skin move? I think tech animation ultimately does that where they kind of deform the, his body. And now, th this earlier for a while had a different uh, underscore cue behind it. It was a reprise of the You're Welcome song, but it sounded too brassy and too, like it didn't fit. And I really felt like this song that I knew, which we had actually used as a, sort of scratch for one of the a short, we're actually, for a trailer that we had, it's a, it's a Tavaka song, and we love the spirit of this and the energy. It's just so infectious that we said this would be a better backdrop for this sort of uh, montage sequence. So we reinstated this very late in the process, and uh, so this is really a, it's This is a, one of the last sequences to yeah. go, to be done as well. But it's so bright and so fun, and it's a part of Opataya's uh, talent that he can, do the kind of emotional stuff, but then the light, fun stuff he is just as great. And this is sort of a, a great set piece by yeah. uh, Opataya and Mark. A lot of know. really fun animation in this stuff too. And 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 those yeah, staging, it's all visual, the storytelling. It's, it's fun to do a sequence like this where there is no dialogue and it really relies on the animation and the staging. Uh, you know, to really put the ideas over. It's all got to be visually told. The weight of this and and the wake and the way the boat moves. It's just. You take all this stuff for granted, but somebody had to figure yeah, all yeah. that out. People waste And it's a than fun us. idea here to give the ocean a relationship with Hey Yeah, hey, this was a gag that we that understand. Once when they were saying, you know, let's get more of the ocean in the movie, this was one of the things that was added, which was great. And then John Laster really said, push, 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 really make the ocean even more upset and furious. And he really pushed us to go even broader with it, which made, did make it funnier. And this whole sort of exchange of the oar, this is really kind of a symbolic thing. Okay, you take over. It really is kind of a passing of the baton. And, their relationship, and as I say, at one point it almost happened earlier, and it was too early. So this seemed like the right spot for N nice to get a, happen. Nice to get a happy scene here because uh, want to get some warmth are, between them. Yeah, but things are going to turn fairly yeah, unhappy soon, and yeah, stay that way for a long time. Yeah, the time. end of this shot and the beginning of these next scenes is them at their warmest because now things are going to, yeah, tension is going to come back into the story. But this we wanted the maximum of their being kind of pulled together. And of course, we love the idea of fog, and it, it was a way of being able to give the island of Tafiti a reveal so you don't see it at first. And it is a real part of the atmosphere on the Pacific. Fog is such a part of sailing. It became a theatrical device for us that we enjoyed using. Of course. Uh, and the hair, again, the breeze through the hair, unbelievable. And this scene was explaining something that I think is was always in the movie, but maybe not clear, but that the ocean has an agenda in this movie. And that was sort of based on uh, something we heard in the South Pacific, which was that the ocean doesn't separate the islands. It actually unites them, almost like one continent. So the idea through the whole movie that is that the ocean really wants to, um, to heal this problem so that the islands can all be united again, and, and the ocean is actually supporting the, uh, the migration. It was Taika that named the island Tafiti back in his earliest script, and it actually means the east, I think, and it relates almost to Tahiti, and we always thought that this was almost, this is set in the story before Tahiti was ever discovered, so in some ways, Tafiti is Tahiti a little bit. Um, lighting department always had to figure out how bright and how dim to make this, the, the heart of Tafiti, because it would pulse more the closer it gets to the island. I don't know if you're aware of that, but as you watch the movie, it gets sort of brighter as they get closer to the island, and, uh, yeah, neck, neck wrench, courtesy of Chris Williams storyboards here. 
uh, a wonderful uh, personality idea to work into that beat. And uh, and this this was um, then earlier. I think this was uh, this is a, an effects kind of tour de force. Um, yeah, it's amazing how complicated these shots are. You take them for granted, but there's smoke elements, there's fire elements, there's ash elements, there's the, uh, Taka herself who has several elements, including you know sort of the dripping lava and the cracks and all that, and then the fire for her hair and the smoke, and it just. Ay. This was great to, to explore the lighting underwater here, how this would work, and using the, the Heart of Tafidia's light source um, and trying to really choreograph this with the fireballs, you know, when they happen, and to get a sense of scale out on the open sea. I really, it, I, we really did, I think, get kind of an epic scale thanks to our great layout people and, and board artists and, uh, and the uh, animators, the effects animators, got a wonderful sense of scale to these fireballs and the, and the yeah. ocean surface. Fun hair stuff too. Yeah, big climactic, see yeah. See the speed with, with the hair. And just the emotional climax of this. We struggled over that shot because for a long time you couldn't see the hook there. We were trying to make it again very elemental, very iconic, iconic in a general way, but just wanted a strong silhouette. But it happened so fast you didn't get it, so we had to go back and add more frames of the hook coming into position because you just couldn't read it well enough. And I, we got it finally to where it, it, it should be, I think, and uh, Chris Williams was big on pushing for that. Once again, I feel like this is some really, uh, really great acting. It's uh, sort of a companion scene to the other, and that was tricky because you have two acting scenes close together, but we had that big set piece between them and then the comic beat, so it felt like these were bridged a little bit by those things. But very controlled acting throughout uh, on, on both Moana and on, on uh, Maui just with little looks, you know, back and forth, little edgy things. And the design of this hook, this was another kind of slightly crazy nightmare because we had earlier versions where the hook didn't look damaged enough. I think we had to go back and kind of correct that so it was clear that it really was, wasn't totally broken yet, but it looked like another good shot and the hook would be gone forever. It was really a, a story point as much as anything. We still have to restore the heart. My hook is cracked. One more hit and it's All those little scrimshaw, those little insignias on there, Manu Arenas, one of the visual development artists, came up with those actually for a, another part of the underworld, and I think it was Ian Gooding's idea to use a lot of those on the hook itself, which gives it just a feeling of a history that you're you're not aware of. Like, how did it get there? But it feels more ancient and more like it's a mythic uh, object. And there's some great uh, dialogue acting here from, uh, well, both uh, Dwayne and Ali'i, but yeah. in this next part, I but think yeah. Ali'i has a, has a great yeah, little, but, yeah, little Val, moment. Yeah, Val Amador and I mean, these shots, and then Chad Sellers, who only did a few scenes in the movie, did these shots where she does the argument, and he did a wonderful job of really, uh, you know, getting into her head and, and getting this emotion, capturing the, her emotion. Some of Ali's best readings in the movie, I think, were here, and we always, we didn't did. matter what was rewritten, we wanted to keep this as it was, these readings, because they were so beautifully done. But we did struggle with the, the eyes and how teary to make the eyes. And, yeah, and, we went uh, back, we went and, back forth. and forth trying yeah. to get the right effect. Right. Um, yeah. You take it for granted, but we did struggle. Yeah. And Mark Mancina's score here did a wonderful job elevating the emotion, I think, in terms of really letting it go big and sort of uh, operatic there, and now comes down quietly. And in the storyboards, they had this idea that the water just comes up off stage. I questioned it. I was like, will people be thrown by it? And they said, no, we'll just have a little play of light on her face. And I wasn't yeah. sure, but I think it was the right choice. Yeah, it really I is think kind it, of a magical moment the way I they did it. I always liked it. I, was, I wasn't sure it would work, but it, it did work well. And this, just the kind of standoff between the two of them, it's really uh, an important scene. And it's, 
it's great to it's a scene between her and a, and water, and yet it's emotional. I think that's yeah. kind of a st testament to the animators and the and, and, and everybody, the lighting people and everybody that they could make this feel. And the uh, idea that involving. the ocean actually takes it away from her wasn't there Jared early well. on, yeah, and, Jared, and that was right. in a story meeting that there was a discussion back and forth. I remember when that idea came. What if yeah. the ocean took it? And everybody's yeah. like, yeah. So we get to see bioluminescence again. And this next shot coming up, it is literally, one, my, I'd say, one of my three favorite shots in the movie. I don't know why. Just so lyrical, so beautiful. Uh, Manuel's animation here. and But the wonderful effects animation, Blair and the team. I just think it's a magical scene. A lot of experimentation, how to handle the, the ghost tala. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I like the way it, it really ended up. Explore different techniques because yeah, she's meant she's, to have she's passed solid, on. Yeah. She's solid, and yet she's not solid. Kind of evanescent, and enough that she can grab her and make contact, and yet she's kind of ethereal. So yeah, it wouldn't have been as emotional if, if Moana had ran through her and splashed in the water. Pause for laughter. Still pausing. Um, and the and, tears, yeah, tears, yeah. tears. James Mansfield yeah. did a lot of these tears and effects, and we had more tears. Peter DeMond actually did this one, I think. But uh, uh, we really we wanted her to have tears, but we had to track the tracks of her tears. It was we really had to see where does she have tears, where does she not have tears, how much do you see them? There was a whole tear continuity that happened. Uh, Beautiful storyboarding here by Dave Derrick. Uh, yeah, Dave Derrick. Yeah, that. absolutely one of the essential storyboard artists on the movie. Storyboarded how far I'll go. Storyboarded this key moments of acting in the movie, and this is such an anchor to the whole rest of the movie. And, and Dave, we might mention, has Samoan heritage. I think his great-grandfather was Samoan, so he really felt connected to the material, and he really gave it his all in all these scenes yeah. with heart and emotion. And he was one person that was actually there all the time who really was, was always pushing hard uh, from the, the point of view of, of the islanders to... to um, be truthful, as truthful as possible. Well, yeah, all the stuff with the Taolunga and the Toinga and all that, a lot of that came from Dave really pushing the, hey, these are real uh, events in the islands. And Dave did an earlier version of this sequence, which was equally beautiful, and I think will be on the DVD when this took place down in the underworld, and there was sort of a circle of ancestors that came back down there. And it was one of the most powerful scenes in the movie, but for various plot reasons, it had to be amended and changed. And we were always like, how can we get that emotion back into the movie? But I'm very happy with the way this resulted. I still think it's one of the most emotional scenes. Of a, dif a difficult song to write. Right. Um, it and went through a lot of... Um, and Mark Mancina was really... Because Opatia took a, a attack at this, and, and Lynn was sort of waiting to see what came out of that. And really, it was Mark that really created a shape for this whole scene, in a way, by the, the way he found a fragment of what Opatia is, that whole yaking idea, the idea that they could come back... He kind of roughed out an idea of how this might do. So Mark really yeah. structured this, and then Lynn worked on top of that and, and really but created this wonderful and insightful lyric for Grandma and for, uh, for Moana and how, how, what she could speak that really it's, it's her big empowerment moment here that's going to launch love, the whole yeah. third act of the movie. I love that little moment between her and, and uh, her ancestor, yeah. that little connect. Yeah, in moment. the boards of Dave's, and then uh, Daniel Klug animated those shots and did a fantastic job. And, and again, the lighter's amazing job with how, and the effects artist, with how this all plays, that it's It's hard to go into details, but, but believe me, this wasn't easy. <laughs> One of the later things we did, actually, this was toward the end of the movie that we animated this. Malcolm Pierce, who supervised yep. Moana, animated that shot. Great Malcolm Pierce, great uh, hand-drawn draftsman as well as 2D animator, and he really wanted to do this. I did a few shots in the movie, and that's one of them. It's an absolutely key thing. And I love the primalness of this and the way the music sort of 
comes up and the, the structure of this, I really felt like the idea of coming up to the empty sea, everything's gone. It would just be a powerful storytelling moment, like the spell is broken and now did that all happen in her head? But she's so strong here, leading into act three, basically, as she, we get this kind of pantomime thing with voiceover again, John Ripa's boards, uh, Jackie Collard did some of this animation here, fabulous job, a wonderful tech anim throughout this. Once again, this stuff was actually done, most of this was done earlier. Um, some of the early stuff done in the movie. Particularly when we, she this gets was one of the most challenging things, like trying that. to make this work, this time passage, because we wanted this epic, you know, it wasn't going to take place like the next 10 minutes. It really wanted to get a feeling of voyaging. So the movement of the clouds and how that was going to work, we went back and forth many, many, many iterations yeah. of that shot. I'd say that shot and the shot where she first walked into the cave were the toughest shots from a layout point of view to make yeah. work. And score they got wise, there eventually. It's, it's one it of my hard. favorite parts of the scores yeah. is to win. There, yeah, there is a, like a, tw in addition to, uh, you know, Opataya brought his group to Vaca, about a dozen singers that sing background and those things. But there's additionally about a 20 to 25 person choir of Pacifica voices conducted by Ingalese Ete. It was recorded in Fiji. And that really gives a lot of the power and the emotional heft to this, what they've added to this sort of the choral yeah. element of these cues that From Mark Mancina had written. From this point on, almost to the end of the movie, it, there's all score. I mean, a huge, huge um, yeah, kind of a score, tour de force which, which for Mark and involves Mark and the, the Fiji Opatai choir and Ingalese and and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Opatai came up with some of these chants on the spot when they were doing the underscoring. He's like, well, why don't we try something like this? And Mark would say, I'd like something a little bit like this. And and Opatai just would come up with things, and it was a, a wonder to watch. Um, Dave Derrick boarded boarded this. Uh, Right, this sort and, of climactic And uh, this was some of the first Tekai animation that was done. Yeah, and so character animators would really animate Tekai, but then effects people would go back in and all that, the smoke and the fire and the lava would all be added over what was blocked out originally by the character animators who did a wonderful job with just these fireballs and how they were thrown and all this, uh, you know, a whole team of people did these. And then great uh, effects stuff. Key did that wonderful animation with all those rocks and all that great stuff. And hey, hey, finally gets a moment to do his, something his good in the movie. One moment. Stretches his level of intelligence slightly here, but we felt like it was good to have him do something heroic in the movie somewhere. Just one little thing. These are some incredible scenes uh, animated by Zach Parrish, I think. He's, uh, he's one of the great animators, uh, among great animators, he, he was one of our best. And now this was always tricky because we... The, the, the cheat, I mean, Yeah, the, we the wanted to misdirect so you feel that Tafiti is still there, and yet how can Tafiti still be there? So the shell of the, this, these barrier islands formed a silhouette that sort of looked like Tafiti. This was a tough scene, and actually this is one of the few scenes I feel like if I had to go over this one, I think they should have said something a little bit more than they say here. Well, he used to, and then it's a question of too yeah, much or too little. Too much or too little. I the, think the we didn't quite ever, it was used, one of the last yeah, things we did, and I felt we didn't quite say, get it right. I he used think. to say, I talked it over with a buddy of mine, and right. then looked at the, yeah. uh, whether or not it's clear or not, basically the reason he came back was his conscience, the tattoo, made yeah. him come back. Yeah, I feel like it's not quite there. I feel like we just didn't quite have enough time to work that out right. Um, Ryan Page did some of these sailing shots. Again, he is a sailor, so he was able to channel some. He would say, no, you move this rope this way to do this, and you hold the sail this way to tack, yada, yada. We don't know what we're talking about. And of course, Joey Brown's fun animation of this dash off the hand. 
I was always concerned, you know, will this be too much for kids? But it seems like most kids have, a few kids are too scared, but generally they kind of go with it and it helps the way the movie resolves itself. Yeah, I think, I think it think helps that, that we realize that kind of, Takai yeah. isn't so bad. Right. We really, this got reworked a number of times to really try and make it such that ultimately Moana would be the one who'd have to save herself, that it wasn't Maui that was going to save her. There other endings where she dove down to plant the heart and then Maui had to pull up an island and things, but it put too much of the spotlight on Maui and yeah, and then yeah. our producer was not saying, no, no, that's too much Maui, you gotta have it yeah, her we, and Pam as well. I think various people said, no, no, it's gotta be her. So yeah, we, it's got reworked w many, many times. Yeah, because it was part of the myth, we always kind of thought Maui should pull up the, the island, island somewhere, but, yeah. but I think this is the right way to go. Yeah, I think, and it was, I believe it was John Rippon who came up with the ultimate uh, structure of at least in terms of her confronting Taka in with a hongi and you know, sort of in a the passive way that she does it almost or the sort of calming the savage beast way which i think was really the perfect way to uh resolve this actually and this was a challenging shot how do you put over the idea that there's sort of a form there and how much information to give the audience someday we should ask audience people did you get it i think they get it but it's like trying to put all this over relatively with very few little bits and pieces of dialogue and trying to tell the story visually and have the audience kind of put it together in a way that they don't get ahead of it too much, but they are with it when it happens. Here again is a haka. This is a great sort of, this was a, uh, you know, we, we had reference done for us by Elaine, uh, you know, whose New Zealand uh, heritage came into play here as he really gave us a, a library of gestures to, to use for this haka. Matt Myers, very subtle animation there, very cool. And now, yeah, just a little glimmer of the stone on the on the ground surface. I love just the subtlety of that. And now she's going to come, and it's a, it is kind of the the Red Sea parting moment. But the idea of uh, her having enough control of this callback, in a way, to the opening of the movie. This this came around sort of later in the development yeah. of the story, but Although it was a really was a good an, way to connect. There was it. always an idea that there would be a way possibly musically to uh, to resolve this this whole thing yeah it, it uh, was it's sort it, of a no-no to have a, a musical moment musical, like this uh, in the third in, act of a movie it's very rare and uh and, and we had different things that she was going to possibly sing i think it was lynn's idea ultimately what if you really have the background music she sings against is that opening song that innocent where because she is coming back to the ocean and this isn't ocean back scene and that seemed like the perfect idea came very late though and so that was arranged oh. and Lynn wrote the counter melody and counter lyric to that that piece behind it. I mean it. I, I hope it's obvious but just in case it's not basically the reason one of the main reasons the ocean picked her was witnessing that little act that she did with the turtle and that the ocean knew that that she would do the right thing at this moment, which, right. which was critical. Yeah, that whole scene with the turtle grew out of a showing we had at Pixar where it seemed like they really felt like she should do something that warrants, that makes the ocean notice her, and the idea of helping a turtle to the sea, I think, was, was sort of developed uh, back then, and that was really a crucial thing that helped set this up in its own way. Again, there's a hongi. That's that gesture of sort of intimacy and friendship, and now uh, uh, as this, you know, finally Tafiti's revealed, this really was in the earliest versions of the story that, you know, Tafiti and Taka were one and the same and that we would reveal it here, that she would go back to her better self. This goes back to one of the earliest pitches, but it was always a challenge, how do you make this work? And, and even technically, this was a huge challenge. 
how do you get enough scale on her so that she feels like a living island and she's got to grow from a scale that's sort of close to Moana to a whole island scale, which later she gets even bigger still. So uh, it was fun to do something that was so visual and kind of uh, mythic here. And, um, and the orchestral score that uh, Mark carries, that Mark wrote, carries so much of the emotion here, I think. And as well as the wonderful Larry Wu's department who, who yes, made yes, all this Larry, grow. Larry. Larry, shout out to Larry Wu for making all that grow. And the chicken. There he comes. The chicken lives. He had his moment. So there are different spots where this little speech where he says, ah, I'm still Molly. At one point he used to say this when he first came back and there was a discussion, should we have it there? Should we have it here? Should we have it at all? And it, it was fairly late that it was decided it would be here. And uh, Dean Wellen storyboarded this last sort of bit between them, did a wonderful job. And uh, the essence of the staging came from uh, Dean's boards and then uh, wonderful layout work beyond that. Tafiti! I love this. This is Val Amador's animation, and I, one of my favorite scenes in the movie right here. I just think his expressions are so perfect on that shot. And uh, and even that, that look when she doesn't go along with him, that's Val's shot as well. Those two scenes, that couple of scenes, really just uh, great stuff, I think. And now there's a little bit of redemption. John Lester really pushed us to play him like the kid who wants to take, you know, was offered cookies at the neighbor's house and he's not supposed to have them or something. That was like his his brief on this one. We were going to do it. He really pushed it to be kind of childish, childlike, and that's what we told, we gave the animators, and they did a, a great job. David Stadoni, Stadoni, I don't say his name right, in terms of just how, you know, over-eager he was and all that and trying, trying to get the hook. and the majesty of this gesture and the idea of reinstating the boats and using flowers, Ian Cooney and his team really made that appear. It was in the boards, but how do you really make that work? Not only does Tefiti have the power to create life, uh, she also has the power to create boats. And now she's growing in scale. This was always a question, how do you put over that she's going from being, you know, whatever it is, you know, 100 feet high to being a mile high or however big she is. And uh, so this was our, it took a lot of doing, but this is one of the la very last things animated, and we had to keep going back and forth, slowing down the animation in some cases because it didn't have enough scale. It seemed when you put the tech animation, it, it killed the scale, and she felt too little, so we had to reanimate some things slower and slower. Andrew Feliciano did this goodbye scene. He's the animator. Great job with this stuff, and uh, the looks between them and the emotion this scene of Andrew is one of my favorites. There used to be more dialogue between the two there of them. There was. This one, we, there we were many, many kind of variations. Of kind of, to yeah, pared it down. Basically. Jared really wanted it to be kind of simple, I think, and this is Jared's construction of this. Love this scene. Yeah, Sean Clark's animation, and then the effects, uh, really, it was, we were trying to get fireworks, you know, a little bit uh, Bellagio effect there, and uh, really wonderful. I think he did the animation of the, the water in that shot, and it, a fantastic job is now. We're going to segue back. Life comes back, and like Larry, make the flowers grow, and they grow again. And uh, and we yeah, really, again, there's not a whole lot of dialogue coming up. It really is visual storytelling. It was in the boards, you know, great job on the boards. Yeah, I don't know if we've said enough about lighting with with Adolf yeah. Zinsky, but the lighting throughout the movie, um, they just did such a great job. Yeah, when you so, talk about the beauty of the movie, so much that comes in. It was both Ian and Adolf 
their eye for color and and the whole team the lighting teams there was I mean, 70 lighters and they're all amazing people too numerous to I mean, name some people names in the credits, may but. feel like it's kind of a realistic movie but it's not as realistic as it looks it's very much heightened it's a heightened reality that um, it's more trying to capture the feeling you have when you when you're on those islands, it's not literal, but more trying to capture the feeling that you get. And finally, Pua gets to come back in the movie. We've yay, been waiting for you. You didn't get to Pua. go on the boat, but now you're here. Um, and a, hey, hey, a funny send-off, Adam Green's animation here. And uh, I love the translucent. I think Brett did, I can't remember if Brett did that, but the, the kind of refractions of his big eyes and the bubbles. And and uh, here they are pulling out the boot. This, this really, I think, is kind of a cool mythic thing, and the ending and the, went through the, very many permutations. But and I the like music, this right? This is this was a great piece. Um, yeah. So Opatia really added this chant, you know, very late in the, on the scoring stage. He he invented some of this chant stuff that at Mark's direction, and really, uh, it gives so much emotion. I think back to the movie, and for it to be in a Pacific Island language, and it really pulls you into the ocean. And I think this was John Ripa's idea to put this seashell on the top of the rocks. But I think it's a perfect little story beat to say. She's going to take charge, but in her own way and connected to the ocean once again. And it works visually and it works from a story point of view. And now this last accelerator, you know, this reprise of We Know the Way. We had it longer, we had a charter, we had her singing on it for a while, we had other people singing. Ultimately, we decided no one on stage should really be singing. It's just choral, and it really celebrates her now being at the front of the boat. We really wanted her, how can we get her in a position near the front of the boat at the end of the movie? So. Dave Derrick, I think, storyboard, storyboard this did an amazing job, and and of course we like the shout out to Grandma that was uh, you know in the in the lyric here again once again, and uh, and really to tie it up, Zach Parrish to animate this last scene as we sort of zero in on her face, and it's really a heroic. I think she's really it says no doubt about it. she's the hero of the movie, going on to on, greater on adventures, onto on new adventures, yay Moana. Staring at the edge of the water Long as I can remember Never really knowing why Chris Williams, Don Hall, um, just helped so much on this I was going to talk about the music, but yeah. Well, so, yeah. Um, uh, Alessia Cara is doing this song. Actually, Tom McDougall, our, our VP of music, brought forward a number of people as a possibility of doing this end song. And Alessia's very young, she's Canadian. And she, we, he played us her voice on her own song, he played us a video of hers, and we loved the quality of her voice and the kind of uh, vulnerability she had in that. And so she did a whole music video connected with this, and this was produced, as these end credit songs are often by other producers. But I really like this kind of uh, different sort of pop treatment of the song. And, and, uh, uh, and visual, visually... Visually, was... this was designed by Chris Williams. It was really his idea to, to go in... He's like, we were talking, should we do credits with... You know, hand-drawn animation, and it was considered for a while, though we were very late, and it would have been almost impossible to do. But I think Chris felt like there's so much details in what they've created that we haven't really totally enjoyed. What if we just had giant close-ups of these things against the credits? And so he helped pick out these images, and really, this is sort of his title sequence here, and I really like the way it turned out. Ian Gooding hand-painted all these uh, initial titles in terms of this typeface. It's a typeface that doesn't quite exist. Ian sort of invented it with the brush strokes to make it feel handmade. But we had caustics. Caustics are the reflective lighting that comes back up on objects that gives you a feeling of, you know, there's a pool of water off camera. Uh, Ian sort of supervised it. And then the effects people really, you know, and lighting really, where were they going to put those caustics? Where do they play? And how do they play? How fast do they go? How much do you see them? It really is a lyrical way of sort of tying together the movie. 
course, we just saw Robert Newman's name go by. I assume you're watching this in mono, but there's a cool stereo version of this movie if you get a chance to see it. I don't know if you'll be seeing it on your TV or not. Some of you, eight of you, will see that on your TV. Of course, these movies, they take hundreds of artists and, you know, we... And you get to see it here, and we've mentioned some of them, but yeah. I'm sure Tim they're... Tim sound design has been amazing, Bernice Robinson's post-production. We did our mix-up at Skywalker Ranch. They happened to be mixing this other little thing called Rogue One while we were up there, and we got a sneak peek at the Lucas Archives over there. It was exciting. Um, <laughs> yes, it was. It was. It was, uh, was cheesily exciting. Um, and here we go. Hand-drawn animation, we're finishing off a little bit by the great Eric Goldberg. Yeah, that's probably the last Minnie Maui animated, because these credits were the last thing done. Yeah. Uh, we don't and actually you'll notice, this. he sort of pulls them up a certain speed, and then we have to kind of slow them down so you can actually read these so names, you or you never would have read the names. Jamie Roberts, fabulous job with the casting on the movie. She really helped find, uh, you know, Rachel, and, and we had casting people in the islands as well, you know, Rachel Sutton in Hawaii, who who found Ali on that last day and brought her to our attention, which was, thank you, Rachel Great Sutton, for that. Great story department. Um, we yeah, we borrowed some of the a lot of people, people but yeah, there, yeah. there are many people. Sun Mijo, fabulous job. Song. Jeff Franjo, who designed, uh, you know, uh, Maui's Song, You're Welcome, storyboarded that and really created a lot of those topic patterns. And VizDev is, they're the people that really create, you know, the look of so much of the movie. We didn't mention Jin Kim, but certainly a yeah. character designer, along with Bill Schwab, both yeah. of them um, instrumental in terms of the designs of the characters. Right. And assets is a term we never got until we got into CG, which really means building all both the characters and the worlds, and the characters have to be rigged. That means they have to put sort of an armature in the characters so the animators can move them around. It's actually, actually totally crucial to the whole process, and they, they built such great controls. We got all that expressive acting in part because of what they did. and. Uh, it's a, this movie, really, so many people comment on the look of the movie, and the people whose names you're seeing go by, all oh, we owe them a debt of thanks because they had so much to do with what you see on the screen, really bringing it. It's really, just like with hand-drawn animation, it starts with a blank piece of paper, and until all these people get involved in the layout, people picking camera angles, helping uh, coordinate the way the camera moves within sets, how you transition from scene to scene, how your, your eye fix, where your eye is looking at any spot, uh, Nathan Warner and Rob, such a big part of all that. We talked about the animators a lot, but that I think that's because we work with the animators uh, probably the closer than, right. than a lot of the other departments. Right. Yeah. And uh, um, we, you know, we. It's this is the most collaborative of all the, of all the art forms. I think really it. it uh, requires many, many people working toward a common yeah. goal. And yay, tech animation. We didn't really even know what tech animation was until we did this movie. And they do the hair, the sails, the ropes, the clothes, and they just did an amazing Things job. Things that were simulated, yes. And effects, these are the special effects. This is the water. So all the ocean stuff, there was a character element, but there was a humongous effects element. All these people had a hand in so many of those scenes that where you has, just are transfixed by the ocean. That is the work of the people's names you're I looking think at. It's, this film had more effects than any recent Disney film in a long, long period of time. And they did an incredible job. Yes, and the lighters, as we said, they are painters in their own right. And they're, uh, they're, they make compositions to drive your eye. They really are painters. And you can freeze frames of this movie, and they look like paintings. They look like beautiful 
beautifully lit paintings and yeah. so so much of the movie. Of course, so he never beautiful. would have gotten this movie to the screen without people like our associate producer Nicole Heron and our production manager Yvette Marino and all the different departmental and heads. And there's our Oceanic Story Trust, right. these people that we met on our research trips who stayed involved with the movie. Yes, Papa and, Mape there who's, quote, you know, for years we've been swallowed by your culture. One time can we be swallowed, can you be swallowed by our culture? It'll serve our mantra on the movie. And thank you all you brilliant musicians here and abroad. Uh, it's a world, it's a world cast of musicians. It's world music. Uh, it fulfills the, that term more so than any movie we've worked on before where literally the music came from around the world on this movie to, to the ultimate thing that you see in front of you. And here today, Dave Fleur's amazing mix. We mixed it up at Skywalker and uh, Dave, we worked with on Prince and the Frog, amazing sound mixture. He has to yeah, combine all the sure. music, the effects, and the dialogue so what you hear tells the story and involves you emotionally and is clear and is dramatic and he did all of that. And uh, of course, uh, our wonderful Terry Douglas and our loopers and Doc Kane, who so much of the recording. Uh, along with Gabe. That, along with and, Gabe Guy and, and, and Paul. Paul McGrath, yeah. Um, fabulous. And the tech people never get credit who designed a lot of the software and kept things going. When the movie started, it was like we didn't have a lot of the tools that these people had to develop between hair, water, and, uh, and the pipeline itself. It's just how can we get a movie this complicated done? And without them, it never would have been done. So thank you one and all. This, this whole movie was done in a warehouse in Tahunga for people just to know it. We, our, they don't know what regular, Tahunga is. It's regular, an island in the South Pacific. It's right regular, near Tahiti. Our regular building has been remodeled, so both Zootopia and this film were, were done in, in this, this old warehouse in North Hollywood. It was an experience. Near, near the Hollywood air, airport, so we would hear as we were trying hear some delicately delivered line of dialogue. It made for an interesting uh, approval session. Um, uh, all these people that John Lester and Ed Catmull, certainly uh, thank you for uh, letting us make this movie. And uh, all you departmental leaders. And of course, Elise, did she get up here? And she's in there somewhere. Or maybe she was earlier. Um, yeah, uh, but... Uh, the, um, development, their department that actually was, we were early on working this out. Jessica Julius and Maggie Malone helped devise our research trips back to the South Pacific. Jessica, Without those, the whole story would be completely and different. And Jessica went on, went on those trips. And she got a tattoo, and I held her hand while she got her own tattooed, hammered into her in traditional style, which she can show you. There'll be a special bonus feature they, just on that that will, Jessica's they, tattoo, it's called Look For It on the bonus And features. they put together a book on, on the making of the movie, which you can check out. Uh, yes, I would recommend it. If you like this movie, Carlos, buy the book. Carlos yes. for coffee. Um, yes, I don't important. drink coffee, but the other I 400 do. people on the movie, and you yourself drank several cups a day to offset all I, the other medications. I, I usually on. drank one cup of coffee, but you're but right. boy, it the was powerful. Is, it was espresso yeah. in the most extreme. Of course, we want to give a shout-out to Taika Waititi, New Zealand writer-director, who really wrote the first draft on the script and was instrumental in getting this voyage started. The cast of Hamilton, who did demos. They did yeah, actually uh, we had the demos, best demos yes. that were ever done for any right, movie. Right, yes, we had Pippa Sue and Chris Jackson singing Pro demos. Production and, babies, i got to mention Zuzia. My granddaughter was born in the course what of this movie. What row is she in? Quickly, with, tell us. She's in the thir third, third row, row, second, second from the top. Okay, there was yeah. also um, Sebastian, who, who was Lynn's, Lynn's son, and Jasmine, who, who was Dwayne's daughter, daughter who's and, about a year old as we're recording this. Many other babies. Yes. But, uh, 
Shout, so, out, shout out to Zuzia. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Shiny. Oh, yes. This was added. This was our little surprise. Uh, Hiram, Hiram Osmond's animation. Jared Bush is writing a little yeah. tiny bit of improv, maybe, but it's mostly written, but then reconstructed in the editing room. We had a lot of material, and John Lash said, wait a minute, here, let me add it. And he sort of stood next to the chem and said, okay, Jeff, what if we cut this here, cut this there? Like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. That's good. And then Hiram animated. The last thing, it was a secret. None of, nobody else on the movie knew about it, and it was funny. It was good. Yes, yes. But they know about it now. We've told them. And, and I think we're done. I think we're done now. Are we done? I think we are.